When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and uh, welcome to uh, episode 5 of Eagle Eye View. My name's Tom Moore and uh, I'm here with uh, Crystal Palace reporter Robert Wardo. Thanks Tom. And uh, our Charlton Athletic reporter Mr Clive Yolson. Hey Tom. Um, I suppose um, we should probably start with uh, the uh, two-all draw with Everton on Saturday. Uh, Rob, you're obviously at uh, Celeste Park. Uh, what, what did you make of it? Yeah, it was another one of those where Palace played well but didn't quite get what they felt they deserved really. They, you know, they, they Took the lead twice, twice with pegged back, first time with a penalty, which you know, was contentious. A lot of people didn't think it was a penalty. It was soft. Um, Nias went down under uh, a challenge from, from Scott Dan. Um, plenty of people in the stands thought it was a dive, and he, but you could see why it was given you know, from, from Anton Taylor's position in on the pitch. Um, Palace obviously got back in front when Wilfred Zaha scored. And then really gifted Everton a second goal right on the stroke of half time when Julian Speroni played the ball to Scott Dan, really in a position he didn't want it, and he was caught in possession. Ball was then put through to the pantomime villain of Umani S, and he scored. And after that, I mean, second half, in fairness to Palace, they did respond well. You know, it would have been easy to sort of go in at half time thinking, well, we should be leading this game, and we're not, um, and sort of feel down about themselves. But they, to their credit, they did get back out and took the game to Everton and just couldn't find a way through really. It was it was one of those afternoons where you just thought, yeah, they really should have got another goal at least, but couldn't, couldn't find a way through. They didn't really create that much in the way of clear-cut chances. Christian Menteke had the, the clearest opportunity when he came on as a substitute and really should have done better, but showed signs of rustiness, which is to be expected. He's been out for seven, eight weeks nearly. So that's you know, that wasn't a, a particular surprise, I suppose, but on another day, he could have, he could have stuck that in the net and... Palace would be a lot more positive and buoyant after a 3-2 win but as it is it's two all it's another sort of hard luck story that they haven't quite won a game and you know point is alright but it doesn't really help in their situation they need three I mean uh, just talk about the penalty I mean obviously uh, Palace fans weren't happy I mean you could see why I was given I mean what was it about it that you just felt that I think you know, you, you could see why it was given. Roy Hodgson admitted that afterwards. He said, you know, if he was in Anthony Taylor's position on the pitch, he probably would have made come to the same conclusion given the penalty. Uh, I think that there was some contact. You know, that the problem is that Scott Dan, the way he's come across Umani Ass, he's given that referee the opportunity. You know, he's given the decision to make, and from his position, looking, you know, not quite straight on at, it, at an angle, it did look like he's come across him and he's, he's taken him out. Having said that, Nias did go down 
rather easily. And I mean, Phil Neville on Match of the Day said it was 100% a dive. And he wouldn't be the only person. If you if you ask ten people in the street who you know watching that on a replay, I expect nine out of them would probably say yeah, the dive. It's it's one of those where you've definitely seen them given, and obviously in this case it was. But also you wouldn't have been that surprised if a yellow card had been shown to the ass and a free kick was shown the other, given the other way. It's you know unfortunate for Palace it was given against them, and yeah, like I say, it's, it's another one of those moments that you feel there's just it's the story of their season so far not quite happening but you'd have accepted that at the other end wouldn't you oh, of course you would if, yeah, if, well, it, yeah, yeah. if that's, it's just the way football is you know yeah, players are well the word cheat is quite a strong word but players are actually trying to con the ref and that's what it's all about isn't it but the moment's gone isn't it yeah I mean Roy Hodgson said afterwards he was asked you know well, what do you think should there be a retrospective action and he was like well won't really matter to me. It's because, to yeah, it's, they need mean, the points <laughs> they, yeah they need the points they need the decision to go with them at the time it didn't but like Roy Hodgson said, you know, it, it was we can't do anything about that. We can't no. change it. It happened. The penalty was given. We conceded. But we came back. We got in front again. And really, it was then their own their own error that cost them after that. Because you know they should have been two one up at half time. There's no doubt about it. Junius Brony had sold Nias a dummy, and you just think, right, clear the ball. You know, he's he's just got a chance to. It wouldn't have been pretty, but hoof it down the pitch. And it was in the first minute of injury time. You know. Could, the referee might have blown and called that half time, and then possibly going into the break, you know, all buoyant two one up. Mm. But instead, they're they're bemoaning the fact that it's two all on a game in a game that they've dominated largely, and you know a couple of errors have been punished, and and that's it. And they're they're, they're two all, and all of a sudden it's a, a completely different complexion on it. I mean, I, I suppose if we look at their position, it's still precarious. I mean, that, those sort of things that go really wrong when you're down the bottom mm. of, of the league is how, how do you sort of view Palace's position and do, do you think they're now do you think they're showing that they can get out of it or how, how do you sort of feel feel, feel they're uh, coping at this point I, I think you know I, I asked Roy Hodgson in his national break um, what's the mood like in the camp because it would be quite easy for them to be down in those old rooms you know they are bottom of the league they're, they're not completely cut adrift but they're two wins from safety I mean and he said, "No, the mood's great. You know, he said it, it, we're not we're not jumping around the place. We're not top of the league. But he said, considering the position we're in, yeah, the mood is good. And I think you can see that in the performances that they're not playing badly. They're not playing like a team who's got five points this season. They're playing like a team who, yeah, they're not going to be top of the league. But you'd expect to see them in mid table. If, if if someone was you know alien to to it and just looks at the performances alone." You wouldn't say, oh yeah, they're bottom of the league by you know, not by any stretch. They're they're playing well enough. It's just that they aren't quite getting the rub of the green. They're not they're not capitalising on on times when they are ahead. And you know, you, you think right, well, let's go and push forward, push ahead, and make this game ours. It's they're not killing off teams. That's the problem. And then you know, like Everton, it only takes one moment like that, and all of a sudden they're right back in it. And Palace are there with one point rather than three. It, I, I don't think it's a lost cause. You know, the, the, there's still enough time to turn things around, but they've got to start turning these one points into three. You mentioned um, Benteke was back. How big an impact can he have on on the team? And will he make a difference in terms of turning those draws into wins? You'd like to think so. I mean, he's certainly a goal scorer, isn't he? He's a proven goal scorer. He scored 17 goals last year in his first season at Palace. He's scored goals at Aston Villa he scored a few goals in his time at Liverpool even though it wasn't a great, the greatest of spells for him he's certainly got that about him I mean he hasn't scored this season so there is that you know, counter argument to it. well is he going to make all the difference I, I think 
a fit Benteke, when you play to his strengths, yes, can make the difference. And his presence would lift the players, presumably? Yeah, I think we've seen it already with Wilfred Zaha when he came back from injury, the effect he had on the team. I would say he's more the talisman than, than Benteke. But I agree, I think Benteke, if, if he's fit and firing, he will score goals. And invariably, that will help Palace get points. You know, they're, they're not going to be... You'd hope they wouldn't be losing games three or four one. He'd be just getting consolation. You know, he he's the sort of player who, if you put play to his strengths, you put the ball in the box, he will feed off of that. He'll get headers in. He'll you know he'll win headers. He'll win knockdowns for other players around him, and that should galvanise and lift them. And yeah, I think if if he can get back to the form that we know he's capable of, certainly he's a he's a weapon for Palace. I mean, I I suppose that's the thing is players coming back. I mean, I understand that. Roy Hodgson had a bit of a rant after the game. I mean, can understand you were there. Can you sort of explain sort of what 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 happened and what he was uh, yeah. saying? Yeah, I think he was a little bit. He was a bit prickly in the press conference. It was a very short press conference, which is unusual for Roy Hodgson. And you know, the times I've seen him there and as I've been covering Palace this year, he's he's very open and honest. You know, he's, he's normally very measured with his responses, and he doesn't bite back very often. But he was a little bit tetchy on Saturday. I think he was frustrated, you know, at the result, at the fact that things he's he's saying the same things each week, and not necessarily pass on learning from them, but it's not changing. You know, it's, it's almost beginning to sound like a broken record when you keep saying all oh, the positives in the performance. And he was asked, you know, that there are positives for you, but how do you turn these these results into wins? And he said, well. How can I? You know, it's not down to him alone. He said, "I affect the performance on the pitch. The performance is good at the moment." You know, he said, "There's no magic wand to turn a two-all draw into a three-two win." He can't affect someone making a mistake to to gift a goal or someone missing a good chance. You know, that's that's down to the players on the pitch, and he, he is right in that respect. You know, he he sets up the team to to play well, play to the structure, play to the game plan, and at the moment, Palace are doing that. It's just they're not quite. Getting, you know, whether it's the rub of the green or not quite, not quite making things happen in good positions, and it's it's costing them. You know, then it's unfortunate, but you've got to think that something's got to change for them because they're not playing. As I said, they're not playing that badly that you'd think. Oh, they're they're going to be cut adrift soon. They've got a run of games coming up now. That was the first of them against teams that are in and around them, and if they can pick up points hopefully three in, in games rather than one because one is not going to make that much of a difference they're not going to be clawing their way back to those teams the problem is if they lose you know if, if they were to lose games like Stoke West Brom Bournemouth coming out against teams that are you know in that bottom half then all of a sudden it becomes so much a harder task because those teams will be further and further away from them do you think Hodgson will be there if they do I don't know lose the next six seven games are they going to stick with Roy Hodgson for the whole season or would it make any difference bringing anyone else in? It would be a brave call to change again. You know, mm. then the, I think you can certainly say that the signs are there that things are improving under Roy Hodgson. Mm. They're not playing as badly as they have done earlier on in the season. But it's a results business. It is, a, yeah, of course, it's a results business, and you know Roy Hodgson's experienced enough. He'll know that. But I don't get the sense that he's under pressure right now. You know, no. the position they're in. That there are other other teams around above them, mm. with managers in you know worse off position. I mean, obviously Tony Pierce has, has been sacked this week by West Brom. I think there are there are more managers under pressure than Roy Hodgson. But yeah, obviously if if they were to lose six of the next seven games, then 
that would change mm. completely. But I don't feel that they will. I think they they will get some some victories. It's just making sure that they do because, as I said, they if they don't, then all of a sudden, come Christmas, their job looks almost Mission Impossible. I don't know what you think, Tom, but a manager seems to go to a club and do they really get passionately involved with that club? Because the nature of football at the moment is you can be in the job for two months and out again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when Roy Hodgson is prickly one minute and not that you wonder how involved they want to get with that club because of the nature of the business. And, you know, does he really need to work in, in football if he gets sacked? Then, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Say. I, I think Roy Hodgson, though, is a, he's a football man. He, you know, he said when he came he back to the job, he, he, you know, he understands it, doesn't he? He's, he's been around for long enough in the game. He, you know, he's, mm. he's got a lot, a wide range of experience from different countries. And I mean, he's a Croydon boy, so mm. he knows. I think he understands the club more than mm. you know a lot of managers who perhaps could come into this situation. Mm. And. I mean, he, he did stress, he was keen to stress at the start of when he was pointed, well, just because I'm a local boy doesn't mean I'm going to... No. It's going to change like that. You know, he's still got to w- work with those players and get things right on the pitch. And the I same think, players. Exactly, the same players. Mm. You know, he's not got until January until he can actually change things in terms of personnel. So he's he's doing the best with what he's got, mm. you know, and there, there's no doubt that Palace will be active in January. The, you know, the position dictates that. Then they're not going to not sign anyone because they desperately need players in certain areas. You know, we we've seen with Benteke out the lack of a striker and the lack of goals that they've had. You know, it's, it's an obvious correlation. And Roy Hodgson also said to me recently that that he wants to sign another goalkeeper. You know, he's only got Julian Sproni and Wayne, Wayne Hennessy. If one of them gets injured, he's down to one senior goalkeeper. Mm. And you know, that's that's dangerous really to be in that position. I, I think there's certainly there's obviously work to be done. I think it's a case of until from now until January, it's trying to pick up as many points as they can, because that will ultimately have an impact on what they can do in January. Mm. If they're in a, if they're in a stronger position, you know they're they're looking like they could get out of it. Then people are going more likely to join them. If, they, if it looks a lost cause, it's going to well, be a lot of player want to go there. Exactly, and, and also the loan market situation. Clubs might not want to loan their players to Palace because they don't want to be in that negative situation. Is that side of it? No, I mean Palace are, are, are kind of tied their hands on that one because they've got Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Timothy Fosu-Mensah, so they can't have another loan from a Premier League club. So they, you know, they, they can't have too much impact there. They're, they're having, they'll be having to look at permanent signings. Mm. And as Roy Hodgson did say to me, you know, if, if you've got someone, if you're looking to sign from another Premier League club, are they going to want to sell to a rival? Probably not. Mm. Uh, and are they going to want to sell someone who's involved in their squad? No, probably not. It's, you're going to be looking for someone who's, you know, uh, not cast off, but is not wanted at a club. And you have to then look, why are they not wanted at the club? You know, are they not good enough? Mm-hmm. So it, it might be that Palace might have to look elsewhere. They might have to go to a for, the foreign markets to try and bring someone in, which obviously brings its own risk in that, you know, those players might not have Premier League experience, they might take a while to adapt and, and Palace need someone to hit the ground running because, you know, they can't be looking for someone who's going to be good in six months' time. They need someone who'll be good in six days' time when they join, you know. It, it, they're in a difficult position, but they're also, it's not, I wouldn't say at this point, if the January window opened today, I wouldn't say that they'd have people turning them down because they're saying, no, yeah, there's no chance you're staying up. Palace can still stay up. But they do need to get points between now and January to help them. How many 
<coughs> do you reckon? I said, yeah, I think in the last podcast we did, uh, before the international break, I said that I think they'd need four uh, four wins out of the next eight games. Um, now, obviously, one game's gone there against Everton and they got a point. All right, it's not disastrous, but I think they did need three on, on Saturday. And I don't think they'll come across the side as poor as Everton. Um, That's worrying, isn't it? Well, yes. I think, you know, Everton are not the team that everyone expected them to be this year. There's no no two ways about that. They're not playing positively. I mean, <coughs> for example, on, on Saturday, their, their foul count was just ridiculous. 26 fouls in one game. And they kept... It wasn't sort of malicious fouls, but it was sort of tactical fouls, you know, where you pull mm. the shirt back because someone's getting away from you. Mm. And, and it just kept breaking up the play. And it, it was frustrating for Palace and the fans. I mean, the supporters were calling for a second yellow card for a couple of the players more than one occasion which never materialised, but that's, you know, by the by, to me, Everton weren't an enterprising team to watch. You know, they, they look like they've got an ageing defence. They've got players who aren't playing up to the level that they should be. You know, they've got bigger reputations than they are, than they're currently showing. And, yeah, I think it was a chance missed for Palace because you would you would say that Everton can't be that bad for the whole season. No. Um and whether and that's they still have just one win, so they need well for Palace, yeah. I mean, they, they've got to get wins on the board, and mm. you know the next few games are crucial. There's no doubt about that. They have got Stoke City at home on Saturday, and then they've got the big one against Brighton. You know, mm. which that that's going to mean a lot to the fans, regardless of the position anyway. But given where they are, it's going to mean even more. And and then they've got West Brom, who've obviously just sacked Tony Pulis, and um, so you, you would expect a new manager might be in charge by then, in t- you know, ten or twelve days time. Um, then they've got Bournemouth at home and Bournemouth are starting to show signs of recovery they won 4-0 against Huddersfield at the weekend they're, they're starting to climb up a bit and then they've got Watford at home Leicester away Swansea away that's just before Christmas I mean if they if they lose games against those sort of teams all of a sudden it just becomes so much harder because mm-hmm. they're then they're gaining three points on you when you're you're picking up none you know mm-hmm. it's it, it, it's a difficult position that Palace are in and in a sense, time is running out in that they've got to turn these positive performances into results. But on the flip side, there is still you know, 26 games to go, so it's not completely lost cause right now. Mm. Well, if, if we turn our attention to obviously the next fixture, Stoke City, I mean, they're a side that, that, that could be one of many clubs to go down. So... Um, how, how do you sort of view uh, view Saturday's game first, and we'll we'll talk about you the following week in a in a moment. First of all, I view, I view it as another chance for three points for Palace. You know, I mean, Stoke City are beatable. There's no doubt about that. They're not they're not well beaters. You know, they they, they they on their day they're good, yes, but they're a bit hit and miss. They blow hot and cold. You know, I mean, I put them in the same bracket as thirteen other teams in the division, in that they're much of a muchness and stubborn opposition. Maybe. They are stubborn, yeah. They're not, you know. They're no pushovers. Are they're they? no pushovers. No, it's not, it's not a foregone conclusion that Palace are going to win the game. But you would hope if Palace could get an early goal. All right, I know they had a good early goal on Saturday and were quickly pegged back. But if if they can get on the front foot, mm. you know the Palace have beaten Stoke a few times in the Premier League. That you know they, they won four one last year at home when okay on that, on that occasion Stoke were in a a poor position. They were at the foot of the table and Palace were on a good reasonable run at that point. But they've beaten them when they've not been in a great run before mm. um, and there's no doubt they can beat Stoke I think really it's starting to get to the point where it's a must win almost because 
the longer it goes without a victory, the the more worried you are for Palace, you know, and, and the position they're in. I mean, Stoke are pretty much a side where you almost forget where they are on the table in a way. Mm-hmm. Is they they aren't a side that are going to be up at the top. They're not a side that's down the bottom at the moment. They seem seem to be bang average. I mean, looking at the table, I mean it. It's ten points separate ninth from Crystal Palace at the bottom. Yeah. So uh, it, it really is a tight league. So it's those matches that are going to decide the fate. I mean, I know it's early to talk about points, but surely for, it'll be less than 40 points that will see a side safe this year, do you reckon? Probably, yeah. I think any side that gets to 40 is, is probably going to be fine. Mm-hmm. I think it's only when more than 40 from, you know, from my perspective I'd be surprised if it is this year I think you might find 36, 37 is even enough mm-hmm. it's yeah, that, that, that won't that figure won't be known well obviously until the last day but it won't become clearer until a little bit after Christmas I wouldn't have said but at the moment Palace have just got to try and get as many points as they can because mm-hmm. you know being on 5 after 12 if you carry on at that points per game ratio you've you, you got no chance so <laughs> I mean if, if we look uh, look ahead to uh, obviously the big derby the one that Palace fans care about I mean I suppose if you said to Palace fans uh, you'll win four of the next five but the one you'll lose is against Brighton do you reckon they'd take that? <laughs> um, Very good question It is a good question <laughs> I, I'd say no at the moment because Brighton is the second of those five and I think if you said to them they're going to lose a game in one of the next two no they wouldn't want Brighton to be that one uh, given the position of the, where they are yes you probably would take it wouldn't you if you were neutral and you said you win four out of the next five games but you will lose to Brighton I think you'd have to you'd have to begrudgingly as a Palace fan accept it but yeah, get, they, re- get relegated or, or beat Brighton five 0 twice. Well, I've, I've heard it, yeah. I mean, I've heard a couple of fans saying, you know, oh, I only care if we beat Brighton. We just, we just got to beat Brighton, and I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I get the rivalry, you know, and, and there is that people will always want to get one over Brighton. That's just how it is, and you know, Palace have got a reasonably good recent record against them. You know, the, the, the playoff semi final. I'm sure. Brighton fans will want to hate it. Won't want reminding of that, and Palace fans will want to relive that day for as long as they can. But yeah, in the context of where they are at the moment, I think Palace will have to take points wherever they can get them. If they get them against Brighton, then brilliant. The fans will be the fans won't turn on the players if they don't get a result at Brighton. If they get beat five nil, they might. But if they, you know, if it's a, an unlucky. 1-0 defeat or something like that the, the fans will stick with them so mm. I don't think they're going to have that danger about it but yeah you obviously do want to go and beat your, your, your rivals and in their own backyard you know that could be a catalyst to turn things around if they, mm. if, if they, if they don't get a result against Stoke then it's massive that game because they will have to go and get something but I think they're capable of it and, you know I, I don't I, again Brighton are one of those teams that yes they're doing really reasonably well at the moment but they're the same as a lot of others in the division. You know, you, you would say they could finish seventh or eighth if, if they have a good season. They could finish bottom, bottom of the league. You know, there are 14 teams in this league who probably don't have a clue where they're going to finish this season. At the moment, you'd say Burnley and Watford, given how well they've been doing and possibly you know, Brighton are up in that top half at the moment, then yes, you could say that if they carry on in the same vein, 
they won't have problems with relegation. Mm. But we know how quickly football can change. And if Palace could get a win against Brighton or get a, two, if they can get two wins against Stoke and Brighton, all of a sudden it looks a lot rosier. It looks a lot rosier. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, uh, what, what, what? I mean, uh, I suppose uh, Palace fans will all remember what happened the last time they went. Uh, they went down to Brighton, and they're certainly. I think a fair few probably still uh, have that uh, game uh, <coughs> on the old uh, Sky Plus box. I wouldn't <laughs> be surprised if they did. Probably, yeah. It's a, it's a good memory for Palace fans, isn't it? I mean, Wilfred Zaha is obviously, you know, you'd expect him to be playing on, on Tuesday night. He'll have good memories of going down there and scoring those two goals. Yeah, I think the, the players, it's not lost on them what that game means to the fans. You know, it's... It's been a while since they've had that and they haven't had it in the top flight, so that's going to add something special to it. It's the first time these two have met in the Premier League. You know, we're not discounting football before 1992, but in the Premier League era, this will be the first time the two sides have met there. So that will give it an extra added spice. I don't think the, really the game needs any extra added spice. It's, it is a derby. It might not be for people outside of the Palace Brighton rivalry it might it might look an odd one because geographically it's not the closest but you know the every the history that there are is between those two clubs for those fans that that are passionate about it and you know the mm. the two clubs it does mean everything for them and yeah I think it's going to be it's going to be a, a good tasty atmosphere down at the Amex I expect that there's only 2000 fans going down there because it's been a reciprocal arrangement that for both games at the Amex and at Celeste Park, both away sides will be restricted to 2,000 fans. So that might limit, I suppose, you know, how much of an atmosphere that the Palace fans can create, but I don't think it'll be a problem. They're, they're pretty good wherever they go. They always make the noise and, and make themselves heard, and I'm pretty sure against Brighton they'll, they'll be doing their utmost to out-seeing the Brighton. But you look at the table at the moment, Brighton have got the bragging rights, haven't they? Mm. They're, they're quite a long way clear of Palace. So whatever happens next Tuesday, Palace will still be below Brighton in the table. Um, you know, Brighton fans, even if it is a result for Palace, will have that on their side for at least a few couple more weeks. Mm. But for Palace, you, you've got to think that that could be a turning point. If they could go there and get a victory, just the momentum and the confidence it would boost it would give them. I think you know that it is. This is a massive week coming up for for Palace. There's no doubt about that. I mean, to bring Clive in here as well. I mean, clearly they're they're players that have joined Palace and won't. And we'll be asking why is their rivalry with Brighton? Is as a player, do you and you, you've obviously played for a few clubs non-league and abroad as well. If we ask about that, your time in New Zealand club actually is when you joined them. How quickly did it take you to get to know what the big games were, what the rivalries were? I mean, when, how when were you told about them or? You just learn straight away, don't you? I'm sure, as Rob said, all the Palace players will be very, very aware of that history and rivalry, and we'll probably look it up if they mm. if they want to know more about it and know what the what it what it means to the fans. Uh, Woking and Stevenage in my non-league days, you know, the two clubs were fierce, fierce rivals, nowhere near each other geographically, and uh, it's the same sort of thing with with Brighton and Palace. There is that. What is it? Twenty odd miles, maybe thirty miles yeah, difference. Was, yeah, down the M twenty three, twenty three. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's an historical thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it stems back to the seventies and eighties, mm. you know, and, and there's obviously been that bit of needle in the games between sides. That, that in actual fact, there's, there's there are a lot of similarities between the clubs and what they've been through, you mm. know, with administration and issues with the ground and things like that. You know, the, the, for both clubs, that they've had different 
times of highs and lows. You know, weren't, weren't Brighton one game away from dropping out of the football league? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, you know, there's they've both been through you know, the rigmarole of it, and they're now both obviously having a good good time. Like, yeah. Palace at the bottom of the league, but you know they're in the Premier League. The both clubs are at the the pinnacle, aren't they? In in terms of the top mm. tier of English football, so they've both had that had those bad times, and they're now having you know good times. And I think it's great to have the, that derby back in the you know, yeah. and for it to be in the Premier League as well. Excellent, you know, it shows the the progress of those two teams. And mm. yeah, you, you'd like to think it, it'd be a, a rivalry to stay, wouldn't you? And you know, mm. I mean, they hadn't they've had four years without meeting each other. I think it'd be nice for them to to get back to it. And yeah, the the context of the game obviously dictates a little bit about what mm. what it means. But I think the the fact that Palace are playing Brighton in the Premier League, it's it's something that Palace fans, yeah, they'll they'll obviously want to get one over their their rivals. But I think they're they're pleased to have it back because of they are. it's like um, any derby, isn't it? Um, West Brom and Wolves, uh, for instance. Surely West Brom fans will want Wolves to be promoted. I know they hate each other and the rivalry is there, but surely you want to look to that fixture next season as one that's a mouth-watering one. I think so. When, when you, when you, you know, everyone says absence make the heart grow fonder, doesn't it? I mean, I, I don't think any any uh, Palace hearts are growing fonder for for Brighton, but I think the fact that it's back, they're they're pleased that you know they've got that game, they've got that intense rivalry. You know, Palace haven't had. Yes, they're one of five London clubs in the league, but they're not. You know, you wouldn't say that the, the rivalry is, is as strong with Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, West West Ham, possibly a little bit because they're a bit closer in the division. Mm. But I think Arsenal, Tottenham, you know, that's a, a strong North London rivalry, mm. isn't it? You know, Chelsea and all right, Fulham aren't in the cha- in the Championship at the moment, rather than the Premier League. But geographically, you look at that, and that's the close rivalry for them. Chelsea, in terms of their position, is Arsenal and Tottenham. So, mm. yeah, for Palace, because they're a similar size to, to Brighton, I think that's you know. That, that adds that little bit more for for the fans and obviously the history that goes with the rivalry. The fans love a derby, don't they? Um, of course Celt- they do. Although you hate your rivals, Celtic Rangers is another example. Mm. When Rangers were relegated two or three divisions, mm. surely the Celtic fans, okay, they have a laugh initially, then they're thinking, hang on, where's our big game gone yeah. for the next three or four years? So there is that to it, isn't there? Mm. I suppose just to, to close, if we look at sort of elsewhere... Obviously, uh, in the news on Monday, we saw uh, t- Tony Pulis le- leaving West Brom, a, a former Palace manager. Clubs seem to be now pressing the panic button, it seems. It, it, we, we have uh, entered uh, manager sacking season, as I like to call well, it. Well, we entered that in August, didn't we? <laughs> September. <laughs> well, we're in truly manager sacking season. Uh, yeah, yeah, true. I mean, it's it, it's the the business that the, the managers are in, aren't they? Their, their job security is is virtually non-existent. You know, I mean, they, they've got to be they've got to be doing well to keep themselves in a job. And people are yeah, club owners are, are more and more demanding these days, aren't they? But isn't it sad for someone like Tony Pulis, who's been there? I don't know how many bit what four or five years, maybe I don't know. Yeah, so three, New Year's New Year's Day uh, twenty fifteen, I think I saw. saw mm, I think it's about three it's a long years time. You know, yeah. he's he's done a very good job, and they're they're a Premier League club. They should be happy they're a Premier League club. Do the owners want to go to a different level, that old that I, old chestnut again, or should they be happy where they are? Bearing in mind all the clubs that want to get back to where they are. I think it's difficult because those fourteen teams, as I've said, you know, below that top six, you know, there's an obvious top six. I know Burnley mm. and Watford are sort of on level on points, or Burnley certainly are on level on points with yeah. uh, Arsenal, Liverpool, but. 
you look at Man City, Man United, Spurs, Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool. Beyond that, all the rest of those teams, are, they're, they're in a second tier of the top flight, mm. aren't they? They're, they're really battling to try and finish not in the bottom three mm. and in any one of those positions up above it. you know. And you look up and you think if you finish seventh, you've had a good season. You've, mm. you've won your league, basically. And you're now looking at the rest of them and thinking, right, well, we, don't, we can't afford to go down because the money that's in the Premier League now, I mean, it's, it's you know, unfathomable from mm. when the Premier League started. People would never have probably foreseen it, it get growing this big and global. I mean, it is a huge thing to be in the Premier League now. But from West Brom's point of view, they, they must look at West Ham and Palace and how they're struggling and think, well, you know, there's a very good chance from their point of view that those two clubs... Uh, the odds on the odds are that they might go down, mm. and yet they're still panicking, and they're in the they middle. They are, of but then I mean, you do have to look at. To be fair, in in, I'm not saying you know, Tony Pugh's had to go, but he's only won a couple of games, I think. Two two games in twenty one over the last back end of last season and start of this season. They're yeah, not in great form. No, that's you know they are. They've got ten points, only one point out of the play, out of the relegation zone. Mm. They've not been playing great, you know, and. I know a lot of people will say Tony Pierce doesn't, you know, the style of football mm. is often commented on, isn't it? And people, the fans aren't necessarily happy. He has still got that record of never being relegated from the Premier League. Mm. You know, he, he, him and Sam Allardyce have, uh, you know, as much as they perhaps are maligned for sort of the, the style of play, it's effective. Mm. You know, they've they've done well. They've they've kind of built their careers on being those guys who don't get relegated you know I mean Palace turned to Tony Pugh when they were in a dire situation mm. in the first season of the Premier League and he turned it round so the next question he is did it with Sam Allardyce as well and did it with Sam Allardyce yeah it, Tom said it's a sacking season so the next question is which, which club are going to sack their manager and get Tony Pulis in <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah I saw Gary Lineker say the other day did they sack him and rehire him but oh, no, I suppose if, if we look at the table I mean um, it, it wouldn't be a Swansea wouldn't be a Stoke, Leicester. They've obviously got Corbellin, uh, Newcastle. They wouldn't. Is it? I don't think there's a position for Tony Pulis now, unless uh, they, unless someone like a Swansea bites the bullet and goes, right, you do it until the end of the season. But with someone like Swansea. They don't play Tony Pulis star football. No. no, they don't. But then sometimes needs must, don't they? And mm. you know, if you're in a situation where you're, you know, we're not there yet, but 15 games from you know from the end of the season, and you need 25 points mm. to stay up, then you've got to look at the people who, who can do that job, haven't you? And as Harry Redknapp. Well, <laughs> I'd be surprised if, if he, he went he into a job again, that. But I think you've got to look at you know who who when managers go who is the likely appointments and the same names crop up you know they do if 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 a team's struggling you always get to sort of Christmas time and someone if they're not in a job someone like Sam Allardyce or Tony Pugh will be touted for jobs because mm. they've, they've been there they've done it you know they've, they've got that on their CV of not having been relegated alright there's that there's obviously that element of do they want to risk that you know blotting the copybook but I think you're seeing it more and more these days where Owners are, you know, chopping and changing managers because they they don't want to have that risk of going down. And if they see things aren't working at the time, they'll make the change. The managerial they? change normally sparks something, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, yes. It, 
It doesn't can always. Have that doesn't always. I mean, right. you know, we only have to look back at Palace last season with, with Sam Allardyce. They didn't have that new manager bounce for no. the first few games, but gradually turned things around. And I think mm. we're starting to see that with Roy Hodgson as well. You know, bringing mm. it back to the present day, I think Roy Hodgson is having an impact. Yes, it's sort of slow and steady. If if you you know you look at the results because they're not they've won one, drawn two, but obviously still better than what it was when Frank de Boer left there are no points and no goals after four games so it could still happen for Palace it could still happen for Palace you know they're, they're not a lost cause they're, they're playing well enough to give the fans you know people optimism that things can turn I think it is just they've got to try and get these results on the board as soon as possible yeah I think that's a good place to uh, to finish thank you very much for, for, for joining us and uh, we will uh, see you next week